Thank you, Phil. I knew that if we could get through the introduction this morning, we'd be okay. Uh, Phil actually never told me that I was speaking. He just said, come, I'm planning a surprise party for you this morning. So when I came in this morning, I thought all my friends and family would be here. But, you know, of course, spiritually you are. But I was a little disappointed not to see me, Nan. But there we go. Thank you, Phil. It is really great to be with you uh, here this morning. You guys have got a great church. You know that? Sometimes it's easy to forget, isn't it? In the midst of all the hassle and the challenges of life, you have a fantastic group of people who've welcomed me this morning. I've really enjoyed being in your worship. And you know, the Bible says that, let us not grow weary in doing good. For in the right season, we're going to reap. And that always encourages me in the midst of all that's going on, that God has got that heart for us. So thank you for the warm welcome. Um, I'm also slightly disappointed that you didn't invite me next week because I actually genuinely want to try now, I haven't stopped thinking about this, haggis and Doritos. <laughs> Don't you think that's going to be an amazing combo of stuff next week? So like, do you think the king's like excited about this church at Junction 10 that's going to be trying haggis and Doritos? Um, but although I'm not coming next week, it was brilliant to come this week because I absolutely loved hearing the young lions this morning. Loved it. And the reason I loved it is because it so personifies what I want to share with you this morning. It's almost like God shows us the talk and then he's given me to tell us what that actually means. And where's, where's Simon? Has Simon gone out? He's gone. He's gone doing his thing. Well, Simon, you know, interesting, he stood up and he talked about this idea that he was a coach. And he said that he's seen himself as a coach and that's changed the way he's behaved. You're his wife, right? I mean, you can tell me afterwards whether or not he's actually behaved and changed, you know, his ways. But, you know, just the idea of when, the way we see ourselves determines how we act and how we respond. And I love the idea that we've had coaching going on this morning. I love the idea that you went on the Young Lions and you come back as a coach. And already this morning, we've seen this idea of people sharing with Jesus and passing on who he is. And that's the heart of what I want to say today. Um, okay, let's, let me show you this picture. So this picture was made in 1887. I mean, not the picture, because obviously that wouldn't happen, but the actual painting. In 1887, there was a man named Archibald McCunnan, and he had a vivid dream in which God instructed him to paint an image of Christ in a cave on an island called Devar. You can go visit this island, it's in the Mull of Kintyre, and it's the seventh cave along, if ever you actually go there, you, maybe you've been there. Uh, and so have, you seen, have you seen this, this painting? So he basically had a dream in which God instructed him to paint this image so he worked in secret, traveling backwards and forwards when uh, all the rest of the village were asleep. And he actually painted this picture. When the final detailed image of Christ was revealed, the locals found it and believed it to be a sign from God. And people flocked from all over Scotland to see this image. And it was amazing. People were having encounters with God. People were discovering Jesus just because they finally saw who he was. That was until they found out that it was actually painted by Archibald. And then people got so angry that it was just a mere mortar did it. They kicked him out of town. And he actually couldn't go back until he was an old man. And uh, people were just really, really angry at it. When I first heard this story, I was on holiday in the Mullican Town. I thought, we've got to go see this painting. And it really was a sight to behold. So... On a fine sunny day, there's me, my wife Leah, and our four children, and we basically cross at low tide. 
and we go to find this image. Now, because I'd heard that it was a little bit complicated to find, I had a guide with me on my phone. I downloaded this travel blog and it basically said, you know, you turn left at the lighthouse, you go round this rock. And I was following all the instructions. Uh, I was guided to be able to find this image. And eventually, we're counting the caves along. We came to cave number seven and my children rushed in front of me. They rushed inside and they were desperate to find Jesus. So they're searching around this cave for like five minutes, initially full of joy. But pretty soon those kind of sounds of joy and glee turned to grumbles and moans and complaints as we could not find Jesus. Where on earth was he? And I'm looking around and I'm like, the guy told me he'd be here, but I'm looking around this cave and I just couldn't find him. Having scoured every inch of the wall, eventually my kids had given up and they start to walk back. I'd been in and out about 10 times, but then I rechecked the guide and I was like, each the guy tells me that I'm going to find Jesus here. He's got to be here. And just as I'm stepping out of the cave, there's like a shaft of light that falls on the rock face. And suddenly, there he is. Suddenly, out of nowhere, I finally saw Jesus. And genuinely, it was like a holy moment. I was like, oh, there he is. I found him. After that experience in Scotland... I had a bit of a nagging concern. How on earth could I have missed this man who'd been there all along? What about if people in our world can't find Jesus even when they've been told where to look? Who are the guides that are willing to help people discover Jesus amidst the darkness? You know, all around us in this world, there's people who don't know the good of the songs that we've sung today, right? We're speaking about the God of second chances. We're speaking about the God who rescued us. Absolutely phenomenal, outstandingly good news, right? But there's people who've never had that holy moment. There's those who are still searching for something, but they've actually don't even know what they're looking for. They're wandering around, following, looking in and out of dark places, desperate to find something. They don't even know what they're looking for. There's many who've been looking for Jesus for so long that they've given up trying altogether. Others have been told where Jesus should be and where they should find him. But maybe they've been so hurt they never found him there, so they're never going to go back. And the heart of what I want to say today is, could you and me actually be those guides for other people? Could we be the coaches, dare I say, the disciple makers, the people who are willing to go and act, to go beyond our church walls and say to people, hey, I found Jesus. This is how you find him too. I believe this is the heart of what Jesus calls us to do with our lives. Um, the last few years, God has really drawn me to search, Phil mentioned this, this word discipleship. And I am desperate for this word discipleship to no longer be professionalized. That is that people think, well, to make disciples, you have to be a professional. You have to be a pastor or you have to be a preacher. And I'm desperate for this word no longer to be pigeonholed, you know, where people think that, you know, actually discipleship is that thing that we do in church on a Thursday night at the meeting. So between seven and nine, we're having discipleship. I don't know what we do the rest of the week. 
But we're having discipleship seven and nine. If you can't make it, sorry, you've missed out. And that's great, but what did the rest of us do, right? Through this talk, I want to kind of re-envision this idea that discipleship is a way of life. We're going to look at three things really briefly this morning. We're going to look at the fact that every Christian has a call. Every person has a process. And every mindset can be missional. But first, before we do that, let's talk about this. Who knows what this is? Who can tell me what it is? Five portions of fruit and vegetable a day. By a show of hands, how many people instantly recognise the phrase five a day and know what it is? Let's see around the room. So we have got, for the purposes of the audio recording, 99.9% and the 0.1% just didn't listen. Okay, so everybody knows it, right. Okay, let's try this again then. By a show of hands, you have to be really honest now. How many of you actually make sure that you have five portions of fruit and vegetables a day? Sorry, I'm just looking around. Can I borrow your glasses? So we're now at about 2%. So everybody instantly recognises five a day. But virtually nobody puts it into practice. Little bit of satisfaction for you this morning, that you are reflective of the majority of the UK population. This campaign in the early 2000s, basically the government were really concerned at the decline in people eating fruit and vegetables. So they came up with this concept of five a day and they put it all over the radio, they put it all over the telly, they put it everywhere till everybody got it in their heads, five a day, five a day, five a day, to the point where instantly in this room this morning, I say five a day, even though it was 20 plus years ago, you all know it. Completely and utterly successful, except for this one little problem. Alongside the awareness of fruit and vegetables uh, eating growing, behaviour continued to stagnate and decline. To the point where the five-a-day campaign is known as the most successful failed marketing campaign of all time. Why? Because just because everybody knows something doesn't mean we do it. Jesus said this. He said, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Probably one of two most popular verses in the Bible, well known amongst this whole congregation, no doubt. The great commission, coupled with the great, command, the, the great commandment to go and love God with all your heart, mind and soul. It's the most well-known thing in Christendom. But if we're honest, really honest this morning, so many of us fail to actually prioritise and put it into practice in our lives. Just because you know something doesn't mean that you're going to do it. And I suppose a bit of a challenge as you've all gone quiet this morning you know, in my life, is the Great Commission actually a great omission? By the end of this talk, I want you to leave this place seeing yourself not only as a disciple maker, but actually having some tools to do it. So there is hope as you've all gone quiet on me. Because number one, every Christian has a call. Jesus called people, right? And he called them to come and follow him. 
uh, the story from Matthew 4, 18 to 20. Really good example of this. So Jesus is walking beside the Sea of Galilee and he sees these two blokes, Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother, Andrew. It's like, Simon, which one are you going to be called? You know, so we've got two brothers here and they meet Jesus and Jesus says to them, come follow me. In the middle of casting their nets down into the sea, they hear Jesus say, come follow me. And Jesus qualifies it with this follow-up statement. He says, come follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. Come and be my disciples and I'm going to make you a disciple maker. This story still being told in a thousand ways today. Jesus still calls people to follow him, yet so often we tend to get stuck in our bubble, don't we, rather than actually follow. There's a broadcaster, Paul Harvey, he said this. He says, we've strayed from being fishers of men and we've become keepers of the aquarium. Challenging, right? So for so many of us, our cause has become more about our comfort than our actual call. Now, I used to keep fish. In fact, I have killed more fish than many of you have ever eaten, probably. I was terrible at it. Absolutely awful. It's like if you wanted to find Nemo in my house, you knew where he was. He was in the bin. You know, it just, it just, it just, I'm not very good at it. And what I learned about keeping fish is you can adjust the temperature. You can clean the water. You can add better lights to your aquarium. You can choose more colourful stones. Uh, but no matter what you do in your own little environment, this one fact is always true. Nothing on the outside ever gets affected by what's going on on the inside. We can make big waves inside our own little aquarium and people outside the door don't even know what's in our bubble. And I wonder sometimes if this fishbowl mentality is actually the reason why we're struggling to make disciples, struggling to fulfill the Great Commission because actually we become more concerned about our own comfort and doing our stuff. Now, thankfully... Church at Junction 10, we're not like that here. Because we recognise that this call to discipleship is not a call to be more churchified. It's not a call to have more meetings, to get better at being churched. It's actually a call to become Christ-like. So what is a disciple? Very simple, really. A disciple is somebody who walks with Jesus and becomes more like him. So the goal of discipleship is not to be churchified. The goal of discipleship is actually to become Christ-like. And in fact, we've always got to ask ourselves, haven't we, on that journey in our own life, is am I becoming more like Jesus or not? So those that walk with Jesus become like him. Come follow me and I will make you like me. That's what Jesus was saying. So what then is a disciple maker? Well, a disciple maker is somebody who walks alongside other people on their journey to Christ. So we have this parallel kind of thing going on where you and I are walking parallel with Jesus. And yet on our parallel journey with Christ, we're also called to walk parallel with other people too, right? So we walk alongside others in our world, in our community, in our everyday situations, within church and beyond it. And God calls us to introduce those people to Jesus and help them to follow him too. If you want to make disciples, you first have to be one. 
We have to recognise that, God, I'm not just here to be a nice Christian. I'm here to learn from you. I'm here to love like you. This is the journey of what it means for us to be disciples. And actually, once you start to think about this, here's a, here's a thought for you this morning. Where does discipling take place? Is it only in the confines of church or can it happen beyond it? Because once we start to think of this idea that if I'm walking alongside Jesus till I become like him and I'm walking alongside other people and introducing them to Jesus, then I want to put it to you this morning that discipleship can take place almost anywhere. And actually, if you think about it, so imagine setting up a fishing rod in the middle of a desert sitting there with your fishing rod out saying I'm going fishing and expecting a fish to jump out of the lake to flap along the desert and to jump and attach themselves to your rod so that you can reel them in. Never going to happen, is it? Jesus knew this and that's why he started the Great Commission with the word go. So if we want to make disciples, we have to go where people are. Somebody once said that even though our spiritual journeys don't begin with when we put our trust in Jesus, most churches act like they do. It's food for thought this morning, right? I know I'm not going to get invited back, Phil, so I'll just keep going. (laughs) So every Christian has a call to be a disciple and to make disciples. So how do we start to do it? Well, we have to recognize that every person has a process too. Every person has this road and journey that they're walking to Christ and then with Christ. I'm going to tell you Lewis's story. This handsome young man is a friend of mine. I work with him in Grace Foundation. He works alongside Phil as part of the wider team and Justine as well. Now, I don't know if Lewis is single, but he's not here this morning, so let's just pretend he is. So if any of you young ladies are after him, let me know. I'll introduce you afterwards. But Lewis is a great guy. And I just want to tell you Lewis's story. Because I was talking to Lewis the other day and he told me this story about his journey, his process. Because I think sometimes as Christians, we think that everyone has this dramatic conversion to Christ, right? And that's largely because we love dramatic stories as Christians. We love it because they're brilliant for our newsletters and they get the money flowing into the church coffers and they make us feel good. And sometimes, let's be honest, they make us look good too. But the vast majority of people, probably people in this room too, did not come to Christ in some instant, spontaneous, mad moment of craziness. They actually came to Christ through a process over time. So let me tell you Lewis's story. So Lewis started, he was not interested in God at all. He was a young man, he's still a young man now, but you know, 17, 18, and he was hell-bent on chasing after drinking, drugs, clubbing from a young age, before it was legal to do so. He would have called himself an atheist. He actively said that. He said, I'm an atheist. He had no interest in pursuing God at all. Didn't know any Christians, except he had one mate called Giles, who he grew up with. And Giles sometimes attended church, but wouldn't have called himself a Christian himself. No interest in God. Then Lewis becomes spiritually curious. So Giles goes off to university and has an encounter with God, gives his life to Christ, 
and then comes back and starts hanging out with Lewis again. Through hanging out with Lewis, they used to always play on the Xbox together. And as they're playing on the Xbox for hours, Giles is telling Lewis what God is doing in his life. And Lewis said to me, said he was like Dave, he was sharing little testimonies. Don't you love that word? Little testimonies. Drip, drip. He was drip, drip, dripping Jesus to him over time through that relationship. It was not some big thing. Little testimonies, little testimonies, to the point where one time they're playing on the PlayStation, and I wish Lewis was here to tell you, but basically Lewis just turns around right in the middle of a game of FIFA and he says, can you just shut up? He says, we can't even play FIFA now without you going on about Jesus. Can you imagine being in there? But somehow these little testimonies stuck. Eventually Lewis becomes a believer. So there's this major turning point for him when he basically, Giles said, well, you know, why don't you pray then? Giles said, you pray, Lewis. So Lewis prays and he has this experience of the peace of God as he prays in his room on his own. As he has this experience, Lewis is set free from frequent attacks of paranoia that he'd been having because of the drink and the drugs. Praise never has them again. God does this incredible thing and he's like, experiences the peace of God. Then he goes to another party and he's pining away, but somehow the alcohol and the drugs don't hit in the same way. Because now he's had this little taste of something of Jesus and the peace of God that passes all understanding and he doesn't know what to do with himself. And at one point, Lewis tells me that he stood in the middle of this club and he looks around, he says, what am I doing? I don't even know who I am. What are all these people doing here? He's seen young people sniffing cocaine around him. He's like, what are we doing? So this spiritual curiosity had kicked in for Lewis, yet still, it was still another year, another year before Lewis gave his life to Christ. But then he does and he becomes a believer. Now Lewis is growing in his faith. So Giles alongside, he's journeying side by side with Lewis during this time, but they had this unwritten, unspoken rule. And that was that any decision that Lewis made about his life to follow Christ had to come from Lewis, not from Giles. Because the thing is, you can walk with people towards Jesus, but you can't walk for people. We can't manipulate, we can't coerce, we can't force, we can't trick. None of that stuff works because it's basically based on us and not about God. So they have this unspoken agreement. So then... Lewis becomes a Christian and Giles gets him connected into a church community. Now Lewis is growing in his faith. He's reading the Bible for the first time and he's doing fantastic. He's got a sense of identity. He's set free from the stuff of his past and he's got a sense of purpose. He's probably singing along to these songs like the God of second chances. Lewis is growing. And now, final part of the story, Lewis is becoming a disciple maker. He works on our our team at Grace Foundation. He's an outspoken, passionate advocate for Christ. He supports hundreds of young people in a local school and he has this gift of poetry that God's given him and he goes to speak and does evangelistic things with poetry and shares the good news and people become Christians after hearing Lewis sharing his story through the gift of poetry. Life has never been the same and he's still growing. He's only like 24. I mean, making him out like he's 50 here. Lewis's story is a great reminder that every person has a process. And some births take time. 
And it's a reminder that without Giles choosing to walk alongside Lewis, Lewis may not be doing what he's doing today. Because Giles was good enough and strong enough and secure enough to be patient with the process and know that it's God's journey, not his. He knows that it's all about Jesus and not about him. So every person has a process. And actually, there's loads of research that's been done about this that shows us that people do go on this spiritual journey. So often people will start off being not interested in God. Maybe they would say they'd be anti-God, maybe they had a bad experience, maybe they just got a bad first impression. Then they move to becoming spiritually curious. Something happens in their life. They read something, they see something, they hear a story maybe from somebody in this room, and it sparks spiritual curiosity in them, and they want to take a step towards Jesus. Eventually, that curiosity, uh, go back, Jack, for a second, that curiosity steps into actually giving your life to Christ. They become a believer. Then they grow in faith, and eventually, the call of God is for us to become fishers of men, start making disciples ourselves. The reason I'm sharing this this morning is because when you track this journey, often we can look at it in our own lives and recognize that everyone's on a spiritual journey and everybody has a next step they can take no matter where they are. So now I want you to think about your life and where you are, where you've been on this journey. Put it through this framework. Are you in a place where you're spiritually curious? I want to know more about Jesus. Are you in a place where you've become a believer and given your life to Jesus, but you've never actually grown in him? And now let's think about what discipleship actually is then. Because what if discipleship is simply helping somebody take another step towards Jesus from their starting point and not yours? Now I know I'm messing now with words like evangelism and discipleship. Because suddenly we're starting to think, hang on a minute, this might be on the same continual spectrum. What if they're not distinct activities, but what if they're actually a way towards a journey? What if this whole discipleship thing is less about getting people to show up for events, but all about helping people take next steps? And just in the same way that Simon saw himself as a coach this morning, the young people saw themselves as uh, coaches. The young people started to come out and pray for Joe, which is absolutely fantastic. Why? Because they're starting to say, I'm part of this and I want to take responsibility and ownership of this for myself. And this is the heart, isn't it, that Jesus wants us to get to this morning, is he wants every single mindset to become missional. Every mindset can be missional. Every single one of us in this room can think about that journey of discipleship, can think about the, the heart of where, where are we? Where do we need to get to in our own next step journey? And where is the people that I'm walking alongside? That's discipleship. But too often there's, I'd say, barriers that come up when we think about this straight away. And I know some of you are sat there and you're thinking, yeah, 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 yeah. This is cool, Dave, but, and we have for at least three big buts. It's common barriers to disciple making. The first one is that we often say, well, that's fine, Dave, but I'm too busy. Too busy to do this. I can see some of you nodding your head straight away. The second thing we say is, that's fine, Dave, but I'm not equipped enough. I'm not good enough to do that disciple making thing. 
And the third thing, and this is probably the crux of the whole issue, right, is when we think about disciple-making, we think, well, actually, I'm just too scared to do it. Just too scared. So how do we tackle those three barriers? How do we deal with those three big buts? And please don't just take that bit and put it on social media. (laughs) The first thing is too busy. And we are busy, aren't we? You know, we're all busy, right? We're busy with studying and work and taking care of our families, hobbies, traveling, socializing, church stuff, and other individual interests. We're busy with our priorities. In fact, I was really challenged at university when I lived in this house full of um, people and one of the girls who was living in this house came to me one time and she said Dave you know I would never be a Christian want to become a Christian I said why she said I never want to become as busy as you (laughs) basically she'd seen me so caught up in church activities she was like that's not something I want maybe I'd introduce them more to church than introduce them to Jesus a while back my wife bought me a copy of the ruthless elimination of Hurry. Anybody read it? I've not because I've not been too busy to read it. It's sat on my coffee table now and I'm like, I nearly need to read that book. Just don't have time. So when do we fit in discipleship then? Well, hang on a minute. If discipleship is side-by-side journeys with others, then it can happen in the midst of the things that I've just talked about. We can make disciples when we're socialising when we're learning, when we're working, when we're loving, when we're leading, we can make disciples through the things that we do in life, not in spite of them. If discipleship is about show and tell, you know, in school when it's like you come to show and then you get to tell about it. Well, we show people, unlike me when I was 18 years old, trying to churchify that young lady, we show people what Jesus is like in our lives and then we tell them about him. Show and tell can be done through all things. I love this quote from a lady called Heidi Baker. She's the CEO of uh, Iris Global. Some of you may have heard of her. Heidi's a fantastic woman of God, doing stuff all over the world. She, She talks about the definition of ministry. And this is Heidi's definition of ministry. She says, basically, ministry is loving the person in front of you. Ministry is loving the person in front of you. And then she goes on to say, it's about stopping for the one. I just love that. Because when I think about in my life, I've got so many ones. I've got so many ones. I've got the lady that comes around our house all the time for food. I've got the lady that comes to stay with us at the moment because she needs hospitality. We've got the, I've got the young lad who's, uh, you know, from, uh, from Ukraine who comes around my house all the time. Young lad. I've got loads of ones in my life. I've got ones at work. I've got ones around. And what's the challenge of God? Stop for the one. Learn how to love them. That's how we often kickstart spiritual journeys with Jesus. But okay, that's fine, Dave. I'll accept that. But what about being too ill-equipped? Come on, Dave, going. That's a bit too... Well, hang on a minute. (laughs) Here we go again. I think there's this lie, isn't there, that's crept into the church. That you have to be some sort of expert to do this. I'm not. I don't get this right all the time. Just told you a story of where I get it wrong. And I could tell you 15 more. There's so many stereotypes and caricatures of what we think this looks like that therefore disqualifies us. Because if it can only happen on a stage, then it's only for the extrovert. If it can only happen on a Tuesday night between seven and nine, then it's only for those who've got time to attend. If it can only happen in a church setting, then it's only for those that are able to volunteer. But what if it's bigger than that? 
And in fact, Jesus never tried to put anyone into a box. Instead, he used who they were to reveal who he was. Jesus used who they were to reveal who he was. So who are you? Who are you? If we had time this morning, we'd go around and we'd talk about you. What kind of disciple are you? Because that will impact the kind of disciple making that God wants you to do. There is no one size fits all. Think about Jesus' disciples for a minute. They were all different and they all served him in unique ways. So maybe you're like Peter. Peter was a pioneer. He was bold, outspoken, full of creative ideas, always ready for action. So you might use projects, big things to make disciples. Or maybe you're like Andrew, the alongsider, friendly, emotionally intelligent, open-minded, sensitive. I'm looking at Justine here. You might use conversations to make disciples. Or maybe you're like Martha. You're a hoster. You're warm, hospitable, welcoming, kind. You love having people around your dinner table. You might use mealtimes to make disciples. Or you might be like John, the lover. I don't know why I'm looking at Phil all of a sudden. Passionate. <laughs> affectionate, infectiously fun to be around. You might build community and make disciples. Or you might be like Priscilla. Oh, I know Rachel, she's a Priscilla. She's a developer, focused, empowering, wise, constructive. You might use coaching, mentoring to make disciples. You might be like Luke, the thinker, logical, rational, deep, naturally inquisitive. You might use teaching to make disciples. Or you might be like Mary, the overcomer, strong, resilient, tough, yet somehow soft-hearted, ever grateful for the fact that Jesus has transformed your life and given you a second chance. So you might use your story to make disciples. Can you get the point this morning? The point is, it's not about who you are. It's about who he is in you. The point is that every single person in this room has been made by God, but you're also made for mission. And when we start to blow out the pigeonhole and box uh, things that we've done by locking in discipleship to this thing that somebody else does, when we start to think, God, you can use me to fulfill the Great Commission, then we might start shifting from this idea of five a day to every single day. The first disciples, they weren't carbon copies of each other. Jesus was not surrounded by superheroes who had it all together. His followers weren't professionals. They'd never done it before. And maybe that's you and me this morning. We've just not done this before in this way, in this context. That's okay. It was the same 2,000 years ago. None of them perfect. Yet they all changed the world with Jesus. And why can't we do it too? With him. Okay, that's fine, Dave. But you know, as I'm coming into land this morning, I'm just too scared. I'm too scared. Because when it comes to this stuff, it's easy for fear to creep in, right? What if I fail? What if I have to open myself up to other people and they reject me? I'm going to make myself vulnerable. What are people going to think if I share my faith or offer to even share a scripture with them, even within a church setting? What if they're different from me? Am I going to have the words to say? What if people ask me questions that I can't answer? What if I don't have the skills to do this? Well, all of those may be valid, but ultimately it comes back down to this. You know, if I said to you guys this morning, right, you're going to climb a big mountain tomorrow no plane no, no planning no training no support let me know how you get on see you later you'd probably freak out but if I said to you I'm going to give you the world's best equipment and I'm going to 
give you Bear Grylls as your guide. And Bear Grylls is going to get you up in the morning and he's going to train you over a period of time. He's going to walk you through exactly what needs to happen. He's going to tell you, not only that he's not only going to train you, he's going to give you all the world's best equipment and he's going to go with you on the journey. Then that would change your entire outlook on the expedition, right? It would change everything because you know that you've got somebody alongside you who knows what they're doing and can lead you through it. Well, here we go. Let's go to the end of this scripture because I didn't include this earlier, because Jesus says, go and make disciples. And then he leaves us with this. The great commission finishes with a great promise. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. For those of us that feel like oft so often, you know, we're too busy, we're too ill-equipped, we're too scared to actually do this thing of making disciples. Jesus reminds us, Yeah, you're going to go and do this, but don't worry because I'm going to be with you side by side every step of the way. So in summary this morning, we've got to keep it simple, haven't we? So the question for you this morning is, who are you already walking alongside with in your life, in church and beyond it? Who could you walk alongside with in a more intentional way? I'll be honest with you, Young Lions, absolutely fantastic. But why can that not happen in this church community every single week? The only reason that Simon saw himself as a coach is because somebody said, I'm giving you permission to go and be a coach. Why doesn't every single person in this room decide this morning, I'm going to be that for some of the young people in this place. I'm going to be that for somebody alongside in this community. And let's be a community that makes disciples. Who are you already walking alongside? Make it doable. Start where people are. Start where you are. Start with who you are. Make it yours. Be yourself. There really is no one-size-fits-all approach. So a challenge for you this morning, you know, I've talked a lot over the last half hour, but it's, it's really simple, actually. It comes back to this thing. If you want to walk side by side, then you've got to go step by step. So what steps are you going to take this week to start putting this disciple-making thing into practice? What connection can you make with somebody in or beyond this church? What conversation can you have with someone this week? What care can you show somebody in this week? What creativity can you use from within your heart to express Jesus to somebody this week that maybe helps them become a bit curious? Ultimately, We're only going to do this if we see ourselves the way that God sees us. And that is God has called and commissioned each one of us to be ambassadors of Christ. An ambassador is somebody who goes on behalf of another culture into a new environment to declare the good news of what has come from where they've came from. And it's almost like, you know, that secret millionaire thing. Have you ever seen that on the the telly? Where you've got the secret millionaire who goes into an environment and he's seeing all this challenging stuff, but he, he sits there with a smile on his face because he knows that he's got the resource to make a difference into the environment that he's entered. And you and I have been called into places and environments where we've been given everything that we need for life and godliness. And we have the greatest resource in the whole of the kingdom of God, that is Jesus Christ, walking and working with us. So this morning, I want to pray. And I, I want to challenge, and I want to ask you, if, if, if there's anything that I've said this morning that has resonated with you, 
I just want to ask you, if you want to say, be a person, I want to make disciples. I just want to ask you to stand right where you are because we're then going to pray. So right now, if you resonate with something that's been said this morning, stand. Mons, you can give me a high five here. And if you want to respond, just stand where you are if you can. Or put your hand up and we're going to pray for all those that are standing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So, Father, we do just pray right now for every single person that's standing. Lord, I thank you for them. I thank you that you've called them to be a child of God. You've made them who they are. And you're empowering them this morning to be an ambassador for you. And I pray that for every single person who stood up this morning, they will help somebody take another step towards Jesus, even this week. And we pray for everybody in this house this morning that we would be those that begin to fulfill the Great Commission in more new, dynamic, exciting ways every single day of our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. I'm going to hand back over to Phil now to finish. But just to say, if you are interested in finding a little bit more, I have got a book coming out in September. It's called Parallel Faith, Walking Alongside Others on Their Journey to Christ. Um, you can pre-order it now. It's a secret. Nobody's seen this cover before, by the way, but you guys. And um, you can pre-order it so you can scan that. But pre-order it from Eden because it's about eight quid cheaper than Amazon at the moment. I don't know why. I don't control that. But it's, it's 12 quid instead of 20 if you're going to do that. And if you're interested in finding out about uh, my journey of friendship with Phil, the five steps of my journey of friendship with Phil, you can go and, uh, go and over to the blog, which is daveboden.substack. Dot com, and you can actually read that and then sign up and I'll be blogging every week between now and September on this whole thing of discipleship. Thank you so much for listening this morning. May God bless you as you go and fulfill his mission for your world. Amen.